At key moments of transition in the Bible, there's this 40 narrative going on. 40 years here, 40 days there, but it keeps popping up. And so in this time of transition that we're living in, going from uh, a year of kind of uh, lockdowns and things like that into whatever version of normal might be in front of us, uh, we thought it'd be good to focus on a few of these uh, to learn some lessons. And so last time, uh, if you were here for Easter Sunday, Rich focused on the 40 days uh, from when Jesus rose from the dead to when he ascended from heaven. And what we found out was the the amazing thing that uh, the disciples of Jesus didn't just need to know that he'd risen from the dead. No, they needed something more than that. They needed to actually spend time with the risen Jesus. And so Jesus didn't just rise and then job done, off I go. No, actually in a very profound way, his death and resurrection were precisely for the purpose so that he could spend time with his people. And he modeled that in those 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. And we're actually going to look at a very similar uh, thing today in our second 40 we're going to look at how this uh, works for an Old Testament character as well, a guy called Moses, who I'm sure many of you will be familiar with. And I want to consider not just the story and explain that, but also think about how that relates to us today. And in all, I want to be very upfront about the message that I want to bring to you today. I want to drill home one message, and this message is this. God wants to spend time with you. God wants to spend time with you. He wants to meet you and he wants you to encounter him. And right at the start, I want to sow the seed in this mind, in, in your mind, because you might have all sorts of thoughts about what encounter and meeting God might be like. But just taking on the face of it, surely that's a pretty tantalizing proposition, isn't it? Well, let's come to that back to that as we go on. But let's dive straight into our passage. And it's very much a snapshot from the life of Moses and it will need some unpacking. But let's have a little look at it and then go from there. It's found in Exodus chapter 24, uh, verses 15 to 18. And this is what it says. Then Moses climbed up the mountain and the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord settled down on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from inside the cloud. To the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, the glory of the Lord appeared at the summit like a consuming fire. Then Moses disappeared into the cloud as he climbed higher up the mountain. He remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So at the end, you've got this uh, 40 days bit, haven't you? You've got that 40 days and 40 nights. But as for the rest, you might well ask, what on earth's going on here? Uh, you've got some cloud. Uh, you've got some fire, you've got a mountain and you've got some stuff about God. And that seems to be on the surface about uh, that, really. Uh, and we need a little bit more than that. So let's see if we can get our bearings here by asking, what is Moses doing up this mountain? And a simple answer to that question would be that Moses is receiving God's law. What does that mean? Well, God's people, you've got to remember, uh, who at this point are just really the ancestors of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Well, they've recently escaped from slavery in Egypt. There's been a, a few plagues, a bit of blood on the doorpost, splitting of the Red Sea. Ta-da! They are free! Freedom! They're no longer slaves. Um, but their story, uh, let's face it, has uh, not finished. It's barely started, in fact. Uh, they need to know how to live together as a nation. They need a law. So what was Moses doing up the mountain? Well, he was getting that law. And if you read the book of Exodus, if you read the book of Exodus, you'll find that this is certainly what happened. 
However, that's not all that's going on here. We've got to dig a little bit deeper. And that means for a moment, let's just forget the mountain um, and let's not worry about the law so much. Let's think about this cloud and this fire that we've got in the story. You see, if you've been in the desert below and you had a particularly powerful set of binoculars, you could have watched Moses going up the mountain. But what you would have seen is essentially him walking and walking and walking and then him being swallowed up in this billowing, uh, fiery cloud. It would look, have looked a little bit like him walking into a volcano or something like that. It's no wonder that a short time later, if you read the story, uh, that he doesn't come down again and they all presume that he's dead. I mean, it's a pretty terrifying scenario. Well, well, what's it all about going into this cloud? Well, to know that, you've got to go back in the story a bit, because cloud and fire have been recurring symbols throughout the Exodus story. So, for example, on leaving uh, Egypt, a pillar of cloud uh, went in front of the people of Israel as they walked out of, uh, of Egypt to, to uh, guide them in the daytime, and a pillar of fire uh, went in front of them at nighttime. Then a little bit later when they'd left, but Pharaoh then woke up one day and thought, oh no, got rid of my entire free workforce, probably should go and get them again. He comes out, sends the army to chase them. And now the cloud is no longer in front of the people of Israel. It moves behind them to stop the Egyptians from catching them. So you might think, well, this cloud is pretty handy. I could do with one of these. You get guidance, you get protection. They must be very thankful to God for the cloud. But there was a whole lot more to the cloud than just being some handy accessory for the people of God. No, every reference to the cloud and fire make one thing very clear. And that is that God didn't just send the cloud and the fire. He was in the cloud and the fire. They, they were the signs of God's very real presence with his people. But when Moses goes up that mountain, we see something new. He goes into the cloud. He enters the cloud. Okay, he's meeting with God himself. That's the suggestion here. Or as this passage puts it, he's encountering the glory of the Lord. What's the glory of the Lord? Well, that means Moses is encountering God as he is, face to face, no intermediary. So what? What does all this mean? Does God meet Moses simply in the name of efficiency? It's like this is the drop off point for the law. Uh, Moses, I'll meet you on Sinai at a certain time. I will deliver the law, explain. If you've got any questions, you talk to me. Then you hand it back to God's people and I'll go back to heaven. That's the plan. No, that's not it at all. You may have heard the, the phrase before that the medium is the message. The medium is the message. What does that mean? Well, that means that the way a message is delivered is just as important as the content of the message. Well, in this situation, the medium is certainly the message. <laughs> The law was given through a person encountering God because, you see, the law itself was given so that people would encounter God. The medium is the message. It's funny when you read the account of the law of Moses as we find it in the Bible, because it's not what we would expect it to be. Yeah, of course, you've got the Ten Commandments. They sort of kick things off. Uh, and there's also uh, some social legislation, you'd expect that sort of thing. But the focus actually for long portions of those segments of the Bible are not on that stuff at all. Most of the time is spent focused on the construction of a very strange tent and the things that go in that tent. So immediately after our passage today, if you went to uh, Exodus 25, you start seven whole chapters about this tent. It's called the tabernacle. Uh, and there's lots about the tent. 
And there's also lots about the fancy bits and bobs that go inside the tent. So you've got stuff about tables and lampstands and this special chest called an ark. And then after that, you've got lots about the clothes that the priest should wear when they go into the tent. Now, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that uh, these bits of the Bible are not my favourite to read through. They're, they're not exactly page turners. Um, but the, this section of the Bible is vitally important. The tabernacle, with all its paraphernalia, is important because this was a very, very important tent. This was the place where God shows that he would meet his people. It's no wonder the priests needed to wear special clothes, because when they went into that tent, in a very real way, they were stepping meters away from God himself. These things are not just annoying extra details to kind of pad out the Bible. No, here in these sections about the tabernacle, we see God's heart in the whole of the law. In fact, in many ways, we see his heart in the whole of the Bible and the whole of the ways revealed himself to us. He didn't just want to give Israel a bunch of rules on how to live. No, he wanted to live with them. He wanted them to be a people centered around the actual presence of their creator, like he was living amongst them. And so when Moses goes into the a cloud in our passage, he's not just collecting some rules, he's setting the example of what the people of God are always meant to do. They're meant to be a people who know what it is to spend time with God, to meet with him, to encounter him. And as that was true then, it's also true now. I think it'd be fair to say that since Moses, God has underlined his desire to encounter his people again and again and again. Think about it, would you? He didn't just save us, did he? No, he came to live with us in the person of Jesus. It's about encounter. And he didn't just give us the resources to do a job. No, what did he do? He gave us himself in the person of the Holy Spirit to live inside us. It's about encounter. And he didn't just organise us into little clubs that could uh, get his work done through kind of mutual cooperation uh, and strength in numbers. No, he, he, he started the church. And what churches are, as it's explained in Ephesians, is dwelling places for his spirit. It's about encounter. And you know what as well? He hasn't just prepared a positive afterlife for you with an interesting uh, itinerary of activities to do. No, God has planned an eternity for his people that will be utterly defined by his unhindered, uninterrupted presence with us. It will always be all about encounter. Do you see? Encountering God is how we transition from one stage to another, but it's also what we should be transitioning into. Everything in the life of a Christian is meant to come from and go to encounter presence meeting with God but how can we do this how do we encounter uh, God today well before we move on to some how-tos which we will in a moment I think there are two preliminary questions we need to settle just to kind of ram this home a little bit and the first question is this it's quite blunt but I'll put it as <laughs> as I see it do you believe this do you believe it I think so often we can hear uh, this sort of stuff 
and feel kind of excited and try a couple of things out. We come to a couple of meetings. We put aside some time our own to pray. And actually, in reality, sometimes not a lot happens. We don't have any strange experiences. Uh, we don't hear God's clear direction. And we don't feel like we've really met him a whole lot at all. And so in our disappointment, we actually just end up lowering the bar. We think, well, all this encounter stuff, this must be for like after we die or perhaps actually by encounter all it means is we just think about God and live in a certain way and that's just shorthand for that really now listen if your mind goes there I get it and uh, I'll be honest uh, I feel that temptation myself often but at times of that when you you want to lower the bar like this on encountering God you've got a choice I think and it's pretty stark you can either trust how God reveals himself in the Bible or you can trust a narrow experience of the world. It's one or the other. You, you can't have them both. Listen, I can't put it another way. If you trust the Bible, God couldn't really have been any more clearer. He wants to meet with us. It's on virtually every single page. And while that certainly needs some definition, we cannot escape the fact that these type of stories like we see today and this type of language must refer at some point or another to some actual memorable and profound spiritual experiences. They must do. And so the simple question, as often in, in being a Christian, is, well, just do you believe that it's true? If you do... Um, I imagine you'll press on through potential disappointments and setbacks to grab hold of what God's got for you. And if you don't, well, I imagine that you probably won't. And no amount of handy how-tos are really going to help a whole lot. And that leads us on to the second question. And that is, do you really want to encounter God? In my experience, and I kind of implied this already, encountering God doesn't come particularly easy. And sometimes it is hard to match up the God of the Bible that seems so eager to meet with his people with the God of our experience, where often God stands far off. So often it, it does seem almost like he's hiding from us. Why this mismatch? Now, I don't, I don't claim to be able to give a, a definitive answer on this one, but I can give my best guess. Um, I, I would have thought that that's because... I mean, God's staying distance, I mean, because God wants to know, well, do you really want to meet me? For us, the, the way we experience an encounter God is through the Holy Spirit for us as Christians living today. And so if you want to know about encounter in the New Testament, go to the bits about the spirit. Um, and in Jesus's clearing, clearest teaching on the Holy Spirit and how we receive the Holy Spirit, this is his opening gambit. This is what he says. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Now, it's, it's undoubtable that by thirsty, Jesus here is referring to people who recognise their need for the Holy Spirit, recognise that they need a living experience of God. But I think it's worth stating the obvious here as well. It's not just that thirsty people need a drink. Thirsty people want a drink as well. Yeah, listen, we need to encounter Jesus regularly. We need it. It's, it's vital unless we want our faith to become dry and dusty and boring and just go through the motions. But this isn't meant to be like taking your medicine, you know, or, or eating your greens. Doesn't the idea of encountering God seem somehow exciting to you? Don't you want that? That's an amazing proposition. 
Let's get this clear. We should not be in the position that we're talking about this or that you're listening to someone seriously suggesting that you can meet your creator. We, we have no right to meet with God. The whole idea just sounds completely preposterous, really. But according to the Bible, we can. We can have meaningful experiences of our creator himself drawing close to us as communities of people and as individuals. It's absolutely remarkable. That's the kind of thing that surely you'd want to give all you own to have, isn't it? That's the kind of thing that we were spending all of your time and energy pursuing to encounter your creator. But if you're anything like me, instead of waking up each day with this sense of buzzing anticipation, you're more likely to go around in a bit of a sulk moaning, hmm, prayed loads in the last month and I haven't really uh, met God once in that whole time. What have I done wrong? What's he done wrong? Is it even worth bothering anymore? Let me ask you, when you think about encountering God, what wins? Is it your disappointment about the times he hasn't met with you? Or is it your excitement that it's a genuine possibility that he could meet with you? Encountering God is not just something we need, it's something that should excite us. And if it does excite us, we won't give up. We won't accept pushbacks. We'll do whatever it takes to make encounter with him more likely. But what does that mean practically then? How do we put ourselves in a place where we may encounter God? How do we put this into practice? Well, at this point, um, I'd like to introduce you to some of my friends. Uh, th this whole, the whole topic uh, here uh, is pretty subjective in many ways, and it can look very different for different people. And so I've asked my friends Laura, Wayern and Johnny to give some of their experiences uh, on this topic. And I asked them two questions. I asked them uh, what encounter looked like for them and how they would go about in their life seeking encounter with God. So I'm going to hand over to them. So the way that I meet with God is very simple. Um, I usually go into my room, close the door, sit on my bed, and I have a conversation out loud with him. Now in an ideal world, whenever I come to do that, I would be in a position to hear from him straight away. But in reality, there's a lot of noise in my head and there are a lot of barriers or a lot of walls that I kind of will put up during the day subconsciously. And so what I find uh, helps to get me into that state of mind um, to be able to hear from him and to be responsive to what he's saying is by pouring out my heart to him right at the beginning and I do this out loud verbally um, I will tell him about what I'm worried about what's going on in my head at the time uh, what I'm scared about what I'm frustrated about and, and things that I'm thankful for as well um, and I'll just kind of get it all out there and by doing that, that helps to kind of break down those barriers, break down those walls, give that space um, to then be able to sit and meditate on who he is and hear what he has to say to me in the moment. So encountering God for me would probably look like experiencing his peace and his joy. Um, I sometimes kind of get words and pictures from God as well. Um, and that 
often happens in group situations. Um, I would say like praying with others or worshipping with others, which is obviously difficult at the moment. Um, but I think especially kind of sung worship would be a time that I would especially come to encounter God, um, be that listening to it or, or doing it myself. Um, I think is often a time when it can kind of point me to looking upwards um, rather than just inwards. Um, and yeah, just seeing God's majesty and, and who he is. Um, so yeah, that, that'd be one thing. I think another thing is just creation. I think being in creation and, and seeing all that he's made and all that he's done um, often just inspires awe in me. And I think is when I encounter God in a, in a slightly different way. Um, so those are two things I think would be ways in which I encounter God in terms of things that help me to do these things. Um, I'm not very good at it, to be honest, even just getting outdoors at the minute can often feel like a chore. Um, but yeah, I think just setting aside specific time to do those things um, is what helps um, to actually yeah, make the space to encounter God, to like give space to the possibility of that happening. When I think about encountering God and what it is to encounter God, I think about characters in the Bible, people in the Bible like Moses who encountered God um, and who was changed after that encounter. His face became radiant. He had to put a, a veil over his face because of the, the vast change that he had. Um, and, and I'm reminded of the verse in Psalms, which isn't relating to Moses, but says, those who look to him are radiant, their faces are never covered with shame. And for me, encountering God is a time where practically I'm intentional. I'm going to spend some time with God, whatever that may look like. And for me, that looks like some space, putting some space aside, which might be in quiet. Um, I'll have my Bible there because God speaks through his word. And I'll often have some instrumental music or I'll have my guitar. Um, or sometimes I might just listen to a worship set because you're being led by other people in that. And you, uh, I just sit there and I listen. Uh, and in encountering God, you don't leave the same. You leave changed because you're visiting, you're spending time intentionally with the living God. There might be all sorts of nuggets in there that stick with you, but I just want to finish by underlining uh, three things to make this practical before we close. Um, first, first thing uh, um, I got from what those guys said was uh, the importance of intentionality, being deliberate about this. Um, to meet with God, uh, you need to be intentional about it. The kind of encounter Moses uh, had in the story we read wasn't just uh, that he bumped into God while God were wandering along. No, he went up that mountain very deliberately for the purpose of encountering God. I think the basic principle is laid out in James chapter four, verse eight, when James says, come close to God and God will come close to you. As my friends pointed out, I think in all of their, what they said, it starts with intentionality. I need to encounter God. I want to encounter God. So I'm going to order my habits and routines towards that goal. Set aside time, find a place. And that's the second one. After intentionality first is time and place. My friends all, all talked about this. Now listen, it's great that we can uh, pray anytime, anywhere. And I'd encourage you uh, to do that. But if I find sometimes that people focusing on, yeah, we can pray anytime, anywhere. And it leads this very casual approach uh, to relationship with God. My guess is that you are unlikely to encounter God in a profound and soul refreshing way just by shooting up a quick prayer while you're hopping on the number 11 bus. Might be wrong, but that's just my guess. <laughs> 
For Laura, it was being outside. She found a particular place. Experiencing creation was helpful for her. For Wei Earn, it was being in her room. And Jesus said this, but when you pray, go away by yourself. I don't think it matters so much where you are, but there's a there's, there's a uh, being on your own element to it. Go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. It's by yourself, it's in private. I've certainly found that developing habits of putting aside time for regular private prayer has been the best way for me to both encounter God and keep up a thirst uh, to continue uh, wanting to encounter him. Now, although I think nurturing a thirst for encounter starts in kind of private, behind closed doors, uh, I think it also expresses itself uh, when we're with other Christians. This will be the third and final thing I want to say that was again mentioned uh, by my friends. Uh, and I think that often happens uh, in times of singing together, sung worship. Um, again, speaking personally, for me, some of my most profound experiences of God would have been in times of gathered worship with other Christians. And I know that's not the case for everyone, but I, I think God does tend to use music and he does use community and he does use the gifts of the Holy Spirit as practiced by other Christians. And when those three things come together, it's a very powerful combination. Now, obviously, we've not been able to do this element of things singing together for quite some time and we still can't. But... I hope I'm not speaking out of turn soon. It looks like we may well be able to do this uh, to meet and to worship together again. But I'd really, really warn you uh, of something here, just because it's a little bit further off. Please don't put off encountering God until we can meet together again. Use the time we have now to prepare your spirit for that day, even if that's the way, main way you meet with God. So that when we worship together, it's not just uh, that you're ready to sing some songs or even ready to have a heartwarming experience of, of being back together again with some friends. No, prepare yourselves now so you'll be ready to encounter the God of heaven on that day and have him make you more and more like his wonderful son. Because as Johnny pointed out, when we encounter him, he changes us. Really important. Which leads me beautifully onto the kind of landing place uh, of this talk. Two quick things to finish. Of course, one of the ways uh, we can apply this message, obviously, you know, I think everyone's clocked this, is to take advantage of our own 40 days uh, that we're doing at the moment, our 40 days of drawing near to Jesus. The whole point of our season of prayer is to explore what it means to encounter God together. So all sorts of uh, options. You could come to our prayer meeting tonight if you're watching this Sunday morning. It's on Sunday night or our abide evening on Monday evening or to our morning prayer Zoom sessions each uh, weekday morning. Or you can clock into our podcasts uh, to continue thinking through some of these things. Now, we've helped, felt God uh, telling us to respond to this pandemic by getting on our knees in prayer. That's the, the word that we're responding to. As we do that, though, we don't want to just ask God for stuff. We want to ask God for God. I think that's the main focus of our, our prayers, and I think it should be. At a time like this, uh, maybe more than ever, we want to be a church that seeks God above all else and recaptures the practice of encountering him. But why wait for any of that even? To end today, I'm going to hand over to Esther and Johnny, and they're going to lead us in a time of sung worship. Yeah, we can't do it all together in the same room, but in your home now, take advantage, I'd, I'd ask you, of this opportunity. Who knows? Just maybe, maybe, just maybe you could encounter God in the next 10 minutes. 
Isn't that worth putting aside all distractions and locking in on Jesus and worshipping him? It might be you don't like singing along. You just want to listen. But don't waste this opportunity. Come close to God. And as we do that in his word, he says he will come close to us. Johnny and Esther, over to you.